Welcome to Hot Breath Comedy Fam. On Monday, May 13th, I am teaching a clean comedy workshop. The last four I have taught sold out very quickly, so if you wanna learn about clean comedy, the business side, where the line is, how to write clean comedy, go to the link in the description of this episode, and we'll see you there. The last time we had you on the show, it was to promote your first album, and it was yeah, in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, and I, that's what I wanted to start by saying is, I'm sure everyone who's listening, um, thank you for how diligent and regular you were with like keeping a community alive for stand-up and really pushing the community to come together regularly during the pandemic with all things stand-up, with the Hot Breathiverse, um, with the writing sessions and the writing prompts. I know I did it multiple times, and it uh, very commendable, and thank you for as I'm sure a lot of people, I think we're starting off as new comics who are now three years into doing comedy and kind of their starting place was with you because they had just gotten into doing it live and they didn't want to let it go. And then you ushered in a, a way to keep on doing it. Oh, wow. Well, wow. Thank you so much, Ricky. Wow. Yeah, it was a, it, it's, it's wild to now be back out in the lot in like in the wild and seeing different um like i'm starting to meet people from the hot breath of Earth now that like we only knew each other online and now we're starting to do shows together and i mean i'm, I'm going up to virginia on friday to do a gig with uh someone in the hot breath of Earth that i met during the pandemic it's like it's kind of wild and crazy how it all has come together like this yeah and that but that's kudos to you though you're the one that kept it going and didn't let it falter and I, I'm sure you, not to be melodramatic, you saved a lot of people who who needed that outlet and needed that community, that kind of um, comedy family at that time. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much, Ricky. I really appreciate you saying that. I really, it, it all just kind of, it all just kind of happened and it's, it's still happening, which I'm so grateful for now that people, even with the pandemic and people out and about now, people still care and people still like participating are still active. So it's, um, it's a, it's a, it's a community effort for sure. Mm -hmm. But thank you for saying that, that, that makes my heart smile. hundred percent honest and true with saying it. Not, not trying to glad hand you. Glad hand. Oh, I haven't Ooh. heard that one before. That's an old timey term, like scuttle button. <laughs> Based on this dank, like dark light. I'm not sure people can tell uh, my age. They're like, is he 50? Is he 37? I'm not sure. Why does he know these terms? <laughs> I love, I say heaven's the Betsy. I said, I venture to say on my, my wife's walk uh, yesterday morning, I said, I venture to say we got some of the best blooms in the, in the neighborhood. You Southern gentlemen. <laughs> That's that old, um, a game show sketch that I wanted to write when I was uh, heavy into sketch comedy was a game show called Southern gay or Baptist. <laughs> and you had to guess <laughs> if the gentleman caller was Southern gay or Baptist. And then the, the, the reveal would be at the end. One of the contestants was all three. Oh, that's a great twist. Yeah. Oh, wow. And people are echoing your, um, your kind words and the, in the live chat here. So that's nice. I'm sure they are. That's if people haven't um, taken the time, they've 
they started doing the hot breath of verse during the pandemic. Yeah, they they definitely should should give you the props that's deserved. I know you said about meeting people in real life. There are people via Twitter or Facebook that I've talked to that were from the hot breath of verse and the writing prompts, the daily writing prompts that like I'll see their names and I'll be like, oh, my God, I've known them for like three years now. And then I'll be like, how do I know them? Did I meet them in person? Like, no, they are the writing prompt people that like would would everybody would give each other tags or, you know, give a thumbs mm-hmm. up and just like a, a pat on the back and support our dumb, weird ideas when we didn't have that ability to do it in person. It was mm-hmm. that hang before and after shows that like, yes, we miss doing shows. But that hang and that human interaction, I know for me, nothing beats the, if you're driving a, like a caravan of whoever the show is, if there's like three of you on the show, nothing's better than that drive to and from the venue. Mm-hmm. Like the show is for me, like the show, it's fun. It's great. I love to entertain the audience, but like the workshopping and like the synergy of ideas and stuff amongst the comedians, it's, it's the travel. Yeah, and that that community and that support, I think, is something I didn't really have early on of that much like camaraderie, I guess, in comedy. So I try to be more mindful and intentional about it now because it is comedy can be a lot of competition and very negative. So it's good when people are just the contrary to that. Unfortunately, it's very territorial in a lot of areas um, and places, but it doesn't need to be like. It, it needs to be a relay race. It yes. needs to be people supporting each other and passing off the baton and like, great, yes. Okay, I was just on stage or someone coming on after me. I hope they do better. Like, I hope their time and their... The, yeah, I've, I've never understood the competitive nature of comedy, which is to entertain the audience. But that's my biggest gripe. I don't know if we talked about it in our, our other episode together is comedians who are um, striving to show you how funny they are instead of going on stage trying to entertain the audience that being their like first and foremost objective is Mm -hmm. entertain the audience that doesn't mean necessarily make them laugh it's just entertain them so be prepared be willing to not berate them if they're not giving you the response you think you deserve i mean how many shows first show on a friday do you go up there and you don't get a response and you're like, fuck, I must've really sucked. And then after the show, people are leaving and they're like, Oh my God, you are so funny. And I've been like, okay, it'd have been nice if you'd have laughed, but I get it. You're tired. It's the first show Friday. And yeah. And each, each crowd has a different temperament. They have a different level of laughter they're going to be giving. And I think that's something young comics early on. I mean, I would do this as well as if like, if it doesn't kill then you can like turn on the audience or blame the audience. Or if a joke doesn't work at all, it's all of a sudden the audience's fault. Like that is and it's never, I have never seen it serve a comic in a positive uh-uh. way. Like so many, that's like that knee jerk thing to do. I'm, I, and I'm saying like as, as experienced comics or as new comics to be like, well, that joke's a lot funnier. Like, you know what an audience loves to hear is that they're a bunch of dum dums. That they're not picking up what you're putting down. Like I've never seen it in the history of like ever seeing a show. I've never seen an audience get berated for not laughing at something, and then the the comic earn their trust or earn them on their side for the rest of the show. 
Yeah, especially a young comic. Like, especially... I've seen, like, more seasoned headliners at, like, clubs and stuff who will say something, but, I mean, they're experienced enough to, like, make it part of their act and not, They like, sold their ticket playful. because they came to... Yeah, they came to see that person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. their notoriety and their credits and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Exactly. I, mini, ta mini tangent, but yes, thank you for keeping the Hot Breathverse going, even... People, people did things during COVID that then after COVID stopped because the world opened back up and we got to get on stages again in front of people. You have, you have kept this going and that is quite admirable as well. Wow. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Ricky. And thank you to everyone. <laughs> you chewed your own adulation. <laughs> You're like, Good. no, no, yeah. No, no, no please, no, please no, keep no. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like it's too much, it's too much, and I keep hitting the applause sound effect. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, and thank you for everyone watching live or listening to the podcast after we do these live streams every Tuesday. And it's like live QA where you can ask questions or if you want feedback on a joke, you can post that as well. But uh, I think our first episode together, Ricky, it was July of 2020, and you had just released an album. I think you had just filmed your dry bar special, um, which I have since. Also, I filmed one. I don't know when it's coming out, but no one does. It no seems does like it's all. It's, that seems to be just like it'll be the when it's bees. <laughs> and so, um, I think you know Glenn Tickle as well. Of that course, I saw him in the live chat here. Yeah. Oh, is he? Oh, oh, what question? What burning searing questions does Mr. Tickle have? <laughs> um, probably just comments of, of saying how lovely of gentlemen we are. Mm -hmm. um, but he, he, as well as I, you live in that limbo when it comes to dry bar. Nothing beats, though, at least uh, in my experience, the, the warmth and the professionalism that you, you get treated to while you're filming your special. Oh, Dude, the best. Yeah. And the so best. it's hard then when you don't know and you're in that limbo of when is it going to come out because you've talked it up to so many people. You've heard stories of some people's specials getting shelved and you're like that girl that's waiting to get uh, asked out to prom. Uh, you're like, I know it's going to happen and I know prom is going to happen, but I, I don't know when this is going to happen. And it's, that's the, that's the hardest thing with like auditions and stuff too, but I'm, I'm sure yours is, uh, did you, did you wear a suit? Uh, no, I didn't wear a suit. Oh, my, my hey. first, my self-produced special, I wore a suit. So this mm -hmm. one, I was trying to dress down and be a little more like trophy, trophy cat. husband, right? Trophy husband. Yeah, yeah. 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 Fantastic. If you haven't, it's out, um, on YouTube, correct? Uh, I, I'm se I sell it on my website. I didn't oh, go good. the YouTube special it. route. Yes. I saw it when there was a possibility of it being available for freezies back in the day. But yeah, that's very possible. Yeah. If, if you if you haven't seen it, please go and watch it. Um, Joel is a consummate professional and mm. you are one of the people that I saw wearing a suit that I was like, you know, what? I like dressing up. Like I feel good and I like get an extra bit of confidence from it. So um, I'm filming a special, my second special in April. And I asked the producers, I was like, wear sweater and like a pair of khakis. And I sent them a picture of a couple, I sent them some clips. And I was like, or a suit. And they were like, suit. And I was like, 
good. Like I didn't want to feel pretentious, but like I feel good dressing up. Like mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about it. There's like either like a like a Lenny Bruce like old school kind of vibe to it or something. I don't know what it is. Like I've really embraced for bigger shows wearing a suit and feeling like really nice about myself. Yeah, they, I, who was I just talking about that with? I don't know if I think we may have been talking about last week. We had um, Joe Lowers. He's the CEO of World Series of Comedy. Mm-hmm. comedy festival and um maybe we were talking about it on there of like how comics a lot of comics will dress like very like dingy on stage and it looks like they just got out of bed and it's like if that's your thing cool but otherwise it's like you want the audience to feel like they're you know they're getting a show like they're getting if you want to be a professional you almost need to be perceived as that even if you aren't a professional comic yet I think how you dress really, really impacts the effect of your jokes and also just the confidence of your performance. Like you said, if you if you mm-hmm. look good, you like you feel good. I think Deion Sanders said, if you look good, you feel good, you feel good, you play good, you play good, they pay good. <laughs> Bam. And it's all about, yeah, it's mental perception. And that's right off the bat of like, even when you hit the stage. How you grab the mic? Do you move the mic stand? Do you might move it out of the way? Do you get in the audience face? Do you sit back? Everything within that first 30 seconds is a microcosm of what the rest of your set is going to be and the tone that you're setting for the rest of the 30 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour, whatever your set is, headliner, feature, MC. You're really like subconsciously to a lot of the audience, you're telling them, okay, this is who I'm going to be for the rest of this time. Whether that's who you really are, whether that's if you've even found your voice. I know that's the hardest thing with comics. So like if if I'm doing like a real small room in like a brewery or something um, or a vineyard, I tend to not wear a suit. I tend to wear what I call like a dad sweater, not a Cosby sweater, but like <laughs> a middle age, like millennial dad sweater because I feel comfortable wearing that. And um, if I'm doing like a theater or something, I tend to wear a suit because for both reasons, like I respect the audience and like why they came there. Uh, I've said this a ton, but I think an audience gives you, gives a performer way more than the performer gives before the performer utters a word, whether it's a free show, whether, whether it's a paid show, they gave you their time. So you like, you owe them to try to entertain them. If for me as an audience member, if I smell that a, a comedian's trying to show us that he's funny, I'm immediately turned off. Hmm. How, how do they, what do you mean by that? So like there's sometimes, and it goes hand in hand with like, if a comedian doesn't get the response from, from a joke that they uh-huh. think they deserve that they make a comment like that. That's a real big signifier of like the comedian. I don't know if it's fake confidence in their working new material or like, that's what they do to the, the braggadocio kind of, um, just the kind of essence they're trying to portray. But like I, for again, it's for me personally, but I look at comedy in a very wide scope of from like the vaudevillian comics to, you know, circus performers to variety performers. I don't put myself in a box and I don't put any other comedians in a box of what I think stand up quote unquote should be, which I think is the funniest social media argument 
of like Hannah Gadsby. That's a one person show or Mike Birbiglia. That's a one person show. It's like, okay, thriller and suspense is a subgenre of horror, but it's still under horror. So like uh-huh. it's, if it's a one person show, it's still comedy and it's still quote unquote, a subgenre of maybe stand up or a variation of, but like, why should we discount them? Because it doesn't fit in the parameters of either what you do or what you like. Um, I mm. swear, I'm not going to just bash like or, or talk ill, but um, I think comedians could really benefit from approaching a stage with an optimistic view of wanting to entertain the audience. And that doesn't mean pander, but like work, like people took time out of their day or their nights or whatever, or Friday or Saturday or whenever to come out and see you at least give them the pre- at least give them the preparation um I, I i saw an open mic this past weekend where three out of the four comics were referring to their notes after greeting the audience Dude. so they said hello i'm blah 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 and they went back <laughs> to the school and looked at their notes i don't know if that was because of nerves or what but i was just like you don't remember your first joke yeah i've been going on some rants about these kids and their notes on stage lately. I, I, snappers. You, you about triggered me right there. I tell you, welcome back to two old white men, bitch. And about <laughs> but yeah, it's like, yeah, being prepared, being professional, both. Yeah. In your material and like how you're presented on stage. I think all of these are like little habits that really add up over time as well. That if you want to separate yourself from every other comic, most comics aren't thinking about how they look on stage. Most comics aren't actively working on their material all the time. Like when you when you get into the open mic grind, you will start to see a lot of the same people doing the same things over and over and over again. And there's a lot of ways you can start to stand out from them and it's, it's all work. And then uh, the the duality of that is, there was a Bert Haas who used to do Zanies in Chicago, who's infamous for a lot of different stories, um, would say, I don't want to ever see you do a new five minutes until the five minutes that you're doing is perfect. Mm. And so, but there are a lot of comics, especially if you go to like local open mics and you're seeing the same people week after week, they start playing to the back couch of their friends or the other comics. And so, they run into the catch 22 of never working on their material because they're trying to just entertain their friends who are seeing them week after week, mm-hmm. which there's a healthy, there's a healthy amount of working on your same stuff over and over again and working on new stuff. And there's clinically and scientifically a ton of different approaches to that. Um, the, probably the only bit of advice I can give for that is try to get as many shows out of state or an hour away from where you're at to do that, to see, to have an, a, a different audience see you because they're not going to know who you are. They're not mm. going to know your shtick. They're not going to know your jokes. So there's a little bit of freedom. There's some weight lifted off of you, but uh, yeah, I, it, it's it, open mics and shows are, are two very different beasts. And I feel like there's a lot of young comics who are trying to nail the open mics, but unless you're auditioning for someone to get uh, booked as a, a house MC or for a weekend, 
I think an open mic is just about doing your time and hearing out, hearing it out loud. Yeah, saying it, yeah, saying it out loud, and and refining material is so incremental. So it's like, like you said, the the guy from Zanies saying, "Don't do a new five until you have this one tightened, like till you have a tight five minute." I mean, you can refine material not doing new jokes, but just like you have a new tag to an existing joke, or you have it instead of saying this word, maybe this other word is funnier here or whatnot, like. You can tighten and refine your existing jokes just by looking at how you're saying them and what you're saying and not necessarily saying, oh, everything has to be new, 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 but how can I refine what I already have and make it stronger? And that's what's hard too. And like we are in such an age of the hardest thing for stamps, I think, is finding your voice. Uh, but we're also uh, in this coexisting, uh, trying to market and brand yourself. Mm. So how can you market and brand yourself if you're still working on finding your voice? So you start leading down a path that maybe is very inauthentic. And that's hard, too, because you're still working on your voice. But so many young comics um, will are worried about filming their sets. Dude. And just to have stuff on social media and to have crowd work where for me, like working on a joke, I, I contend when I'm doing something new to talk fast, to be very excited, to not articulate it the correct way. So I always suggest do an audio recording when you're working on new stuff, because then you can hear the response and you can hear it, how the audience is hearing you because mm -hmm. on stage, you might be like, well, I didn't get that laugh. I, I thought that was really good. And then you go back and listen to it and you're like, oh, I forgot three words that make it crucial to understand the punchline. And I didn't say it. So, so yeah, less focused on having content for online because the more you work on yourself when you start filming those clips and you put them online, they'll be better and you'll get a better response. And I know it's hard because these clubs and bookers are like, what's your social media followership? And it's like, yeah. doesn't matter. Those people ain't coming to the show anyway. Yeah, we're we're on, you and I are like, we're, I, I can't imagine starting now because there's so much more than just get on stage as much as possible get as good as possible. Like there's so much more that goes into being a comedian. Now I can't imagine trying to start now figuring out how to make something funny and then also record it. Like what's so funny, dude, I did, I did a show, I did a show this weekend and, um, I, the comedian, the other comedian on the show literally did this thing. I see like Mark Norman and like Sam Morrill doing it. And like comedians yeah. are like, they do their set, and then at the end, they do like, all right, yell stuff out, and I'll say funny things, and then I'll use it as clips. And I saw this comic do that, and it didn't work. Because <laughs> they're not seasoned, and they exactly. don't have... Exactly. But it's they their mentality. It's tough to like have now that's like, oh, I got to get clips, clips, instead of just get as good as possible. So I can't be this old head with like kids and their social medias. It's kind of part of the hustle, but it's like, get good and then have something worth sharing or get get authentic to what you want to present so like yeah at least figure that out yeah yeah and like and that is i think again i think is the hardest thing but know that what you're saying on stage at least you are okay with or proud of um i just had a show this past weekend um where i opened for a headliner in southern kentucky and we were talking about how um, I am not the kind of comedian that I would go see. 
and that is okay. Like my, the comedy that I present in standup isn't all the facets of what I think is funny and that's okay. But when you start a, a standup set, especially a, a headliner set or a feature set, it's a, it's almost like this is coming from my theater background is you're, you're approaching it like a narrative where like, I think there's a beginning, middle and end and where you want to chunk your stories or how are you starting? What are you talking about here? Where are you going to end up? Like, I just, and this isn't bitching about young comedians. This is about any comedian is some comics are just as disillusioned to some audience members where they think that they can go on stage and just talk off the top of their heads. Mm, mm -hmm. And I, anybody who thinks that Harlan Williams or say like a Robin, Robin Williams, I know I just named two Williams people or Ian bag people who look like they are um, doing these, these crowd work and like this impromptu stuff. They've performed so many times that they're reaching back into a bag of tricks and the stuff that they know that works mm -hmm. to continue the pace and the flow. Like they've put in their work too. It just, they've made it, they're so good at it. They made it look like they're doing it on the spot. Right. Exactly. That, that's just a comment to like your Sam Morell of like the crowd work and stuff. They see these clips of like, say like a, um, Steve Hofstetter where they're just like, Oh my God, he blew up on the internet because he had these altercations with crowd work. Like if I could just have one of those and it's just like, how about you just go out and, and present the comedy that you want to present and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. Amen. And, um, speak. Yeah. And cheers. Yes. We, uh, Glenn tickle asked the question and, uh, Glenn tickle, Glenn tickle. And uh, O'Neill asked where my Virginia show is. It is in Bridgewater, Virginia at the Sipe Center on Friday. So Get those tickets now. Pull up on your boy in Bridgewater, Virginia. Let's get goody. Um, so Glenn asked, how much are we thinking slash overthinking what jokes make the cut for an album or special? Holy moly. That is nothing is worse because Glenn's just getting ready to record his next special at Steel oh, Stacks nice. in Pittsburgh. I think it's the same weekend as, as my special in Michigan. So if you got to pick where to go between Michigan and, and Steel Stacks in Pittsburgh, um, I think that's Pittsburgh uh, or Pennsylvania. Steel maybe Stacks? New Jersey. Is it New Jersey? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We'll but if you're happen. having to decide who to go to between me and Glenn, if you're going to drive over a thousand miles or whatever to see one of our shows, go see his. Oh, Glenn is, Glenn is phenomenal. Um, <gasps> I know with when I did Dry Bar and when I did my first album, which Glenn produced, um, or even my second album that I just dropped with Comedy Dynamics, it wasn't even a week later that I stumbled upon... <laughs> a broadening of a joke or a better <laughs> tag or something. Yeah. And I was just like, why? Like, why did it not <laughs> unlock until just then? But the fortunate thing is for me, the, the thing I have to hang my hat on is that I still have my, my live special to do. So there's the album and then there's the live special, which is a variation of the album. So I can now implement it. But I know 
like Glenn, like you're going to put together your, your special. And even after that, you're going to be like, Oh, I missed all of this, all this gold. Mm -hmm. Um, Figuring out like what I've been doing now since the album and thinking about like, what's going to be on the next special is, and this, this goes with anybody, not whether or not they have an album or a special they're putting together when they're trying to make the best concise hour is I think almost like rank the stuff. And if you're finding new stuff that outranks stuff that there's laws consistently and you've worked on it, you've tried placing it in different areas of the set, you've tried rewording it and it's just not getting the response that you want. Even if you love it, like you sometimes have to kill babies. Um, I've mentioned this before. There was a caveman serial serial killer bit that I worked on for like three months that I thought was very funny. And I'd work it and I'd change it and I'd put it in a different spot. I'd read, did everything. And I'd come home and my wife would be like, how'd the show go? And I'd be like, caveman serial killer really ate a dick tonight. Like it didn't work again. <laughs> and she'd be like, Ricky, I know you think it's funny, but when the audience countless times is not giving you a reaction of telling you it's funny, you need to move on. Yeah. And so I feel that doesn't mean that the idea of like what you want to fill in that slot or that spot is like a, a lost cause, but I feel there is possible um, reworking. Like there's one bit that I have about um, getting old or getting older and different um, things that happened within the last year that were signifiers of like, okay, now I feel like I'm getting old. I have old people's stories. There were a couple that weren't working. So I started including different ones, not getting rid of, but making the bit longer to see uh, them fight one another. And so I do the new ones and I'd see if those worked and then I do the old ones. And then I found out that the old ones, they still weren't working. So then I substituted the new ones that were working with the old ones to still make that bit like the five minute bit that it is the concise, more concise, better working bit. Um, Yeah. I mean, the struggle of that is there's a time where you're just going to have to let it go. And that's the night of the performance or the night of the recording. Yeah. And just being honest with yourself, putting the ego to the side, be like, if, if, if it's not working, it's only hurting you really at the end of the day. So, yeah, get rid of it. you know, at, at a certain point, just got to face the facts and you know, it doesn't mean the joke is gone forever. You can always come back and revisit it. And, 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 in six months, in three years, you may figure out what to do with it. So it's never there. Are, there are so many jokes. There's a joke that I've been workshopping that goes with the um, the getting older one. And I'm, I'm happy to share it because I still feel like I haven't cracked it. Because I am primarily with Drybar, known as a clean comedian. I get booked um, primarily clean. A lot of places they'll be like well you can be a little bit dirty or you can be more late night talk show or or you can be r but there are some places that were like we want clean we don't want f-words we don't want gross stuff or whatever sexual stuff and that's fine because i don't really have that when i work clean the only filter that i really put a, a stopgap on is my spontaneous filter so like some of my additional tags that i would maybe add 
uh, mm-hmm. my impromptus. Um, but one joke in the getting old segment, because that's really what I've been trying to uh, really hone in on and make tighter, is um, I'm at the age now where I've had to go to funerals of people that I know that are my age that have died. And it's really weird to see the same person um, that was my age wearing the exact same thing in the casket that I wore to the funeral. But how, but how was I supposed to know that they were going to wear I fuck on the first date t-shirt? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's a dirty one, but like the cleaner version, which I've, I've tried is um, go to the funeral. And how was I supposed to know that they were going to be wearing the same thing that I wore to the funeral in the casket? I didn't know that they were going to put them in a crop top and a pinstripe jacket from men's warehouse. It Mm. doesn't hit as hard. So is the joke, is it a good joke or is it only good with the cursing? No, I th- I mean the misdirect is the the what they're wearing. So I mean it could be that you were naked or it could be that they were wearing like a toga or something like or you but know pull I know my, pull my finger in their birthday suit. Yeah. You know maybe pull birthday my suit. finger. Birthday maybe suit. The, yeah. Well maybe it's the word economy. How did I know that they were going to wear a shirt that said pull my finger? Yeah. Okay. I think so birthday the- suit or pull my finger are ones that I will probably implement within the next uh, month before the special to see, because the crop top one, I think it's too many words and too many mm. like hard like crop top. I yeah. don't know. But is is or just crop top? Have you tried it with just crop top and not the pinstripe suit? That but kind how did of I response. know they were gonna? Well, so you when I've tried the 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 pinstripe. Uh, jacket for men's warehouse i usually go but how did i know they were going to bury them in a crop top and i hold and a pinstripe blazer from men's warehouse gotcha like and then i just add that in for like the like well they're not completely disgusting human beings they put them in a suit jacket oh right but, but yeah it's i've done both versions where i could go a little bit more blue and say the the if on a first date shirt and again it's that jerry seinfeld thing of like is the f word getting the laugh or is it the premise like yeah i think the premise because it's all like a surprising shirt you're wearing it's not the f word that's the surprise it's like oh they're wearing a t-shirt that says blank you know that's why i think you could insert they buried them in a t-shirt like that's yeah. ridiculous. Why would yeah, yeah, get yeah. In a t-shirt? And you're yeah. wearing a t-shirt at the funeral. So yes, it's, it's like equally just as tacky. Yeah. 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 So there's like, yeah, there's, I think the misdirect isn't about the F word. I think it's just silly what they're wearing in the casket and what you're wearing. It's at a funeral. So yeah, I think there's more than just the F word you could do there. And it's a build on, I'm sorry. I didn't ask if I was allowed to curse on this podcast. On this no, live you're stream. good. No, you're you're fine. disrespecting your, you're just like in the live cast. In <laughs> this is a family thing. No, you're As good. Top off my, my <laughs> Did you get a lot of bookings from dry bar? Um, yeah. I mean, definitely of like, 
any kind of credit, any kind of validation where there is a separate entity that says, uh, we took a chance on them. So you should, um, is only beneficial. Um, and also you get to use those clips as the best possible looking produced clips that you can have. True. And there is that, again, that just that validation. It's why I think I mentioned this on the last podcast. I reached out to Glenn because I saw an article about him self-producing and coming up with his own label. Um, and I was like, can you produce my album? And he, he's like, and he said the article, he's like, the whole article is about how I'm telling you, you should produce it yourself. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I want the validation of someone else producing my album. I don't want to do it myself. Mm-hmm. So with that, with like, um, I mean, for you doing dry bar, you will use those clips for me. I still use those clips or bookings sometimes use those clips because of the dry bar recognizable uh, name. But then when a, um, a 140 pound less Ricky shows up to the show, they're not sure how to approach me either. <laughs> um, wow. You look great. Or are you okay? Sir. <laughs> You're a lot smaller. Yeah. Like, is this a fundraiser? Are we doing a fundraiser now? <laughs> but yeah, you're like, killing. Yes, I have a good fund me. Yeah. <laughs> 140 so, yeah, pounds. I mean, that's like, great, man. I, I, I have definitely gotten bookings. I've only reaped the benefits of it. And not all the bookings have been like church bookings or incredibly clean bookings. I do have, because of it, my favorite um, bombing booking which was um i got hired to close out a fundraiser event for a children's hospital i did not know i was closing out and i did not know that the event started at 6 p.m and there's been an open bar until i went on stage until 10 p.m oh they show a 20 minute video of kids in the cancer wing and an in memoriam for the kids that they had just lost in the year before bringing me up on stage with with like at that time and now currently still a little bit, my first 10 minutes are talking about me having a three-year-old daughter. And so it's like, hey, you know that video you just saw about a bunch of dying kids? Well, I've got a live healthy one. <laughs> that was, you don't berate the audience. You've been paid for your work. And how much time do you have to do? You have 30 minutes. If you don't have your phone in your pocket because you're filming it because you thought this was going to be the groundbreaking viral video, which maybe it would have been, and you don't know how much time you've done, you sometimes I have to ask, what time is it? And know mm -hmm. what time you hit the stage because you contractually have to fulfill your time. And you get paid what? afterwards and you say thank you and you leave. What happened? Did they just not laugh? What was the bombing? They were so drunk. They wanted to be done. They had been there for four hours. They didn't want to listen. Like I, my jovial, like jokey butt was like the last thing they wanted to see on stage. They wanted to go home. They just did their final auction before mm -hmm. I got up on stage and they showed that video. No one wanted to be there anymore. But that's, that's sometimes what a paid gig. Yeah. <laughs> The check cleared, baby. 
Oh, that's the best. I love that. Okay, so I have another question here from Jack Allen as well. Um, he asked, if I'm doing stand-up in a new region which has a different accent and I'm from elsewhere, do I address it at the beginning with a joke uh, before my usual joke? Um, I like my usual strong opening joke and don't want to replace it with a weaker region-based joke just to address where I'm from. Um, I, I So I looked at that question on Facebook and um, through you and I talking, it sounds like he's from the UK. And so like originally I was thinking like from the United States, like I'm from Northern Kentucky and I do shows all over the United States. And when I talk about being from Kentucky, sometimes people are like, oh yeah, I hear it. And other people, times people are like, no idea. There are things that comics do that I get are easy things to fall back on. I'm not saying easy like lazy, but whenever a comic goes, let me tell you a little bit about myself. And also this is all like, this is just my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's not comedy like written down in 10 commandments or whatever. I hate hearing a comic say, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm like, oh, good thing you told me that, because otherwise I'd have been lost and not known what you were talking about when you went into your pre-written five minutes where you were talking about yourself. Like, yeah, I get you're talking about yourself. Or when a comic says, um, well, I'm about ready to get out of here. Let me tell you one last thing. Who is that for? No one is like, oh, one last thing. Oh, I better listen up because I've been loving this guy. Like, I get that those are sometimes like nervous habits of like placeholders of things to like write and stuff in your template of your joke writing. But like, so as far to, as far as like your accent, if you have a strong opening joke, do your opening joke. And if you can make material after uh, like after that opening joke about the, the difference, the audibly difference between you and where you're playing, then do it if it feels natural. Otherwise, I wouldn't worry about writing a whole bit to be like, where am I? Where am I playing tonight? Oh, I'm in Alabama. I mean, mm. again, this is going to be continental U.S. Like, oh, I'm in Southern Kentucky. Well, I better pull out my Southern Kentucky material. Now, there is something to be said about like, I know where I can do some of my kentucky religious material in some places that i can't now when i did that material for my album in salt lake city which is heavily mormon heavily religious could be against anything religious i put it towards the middle end of my show and i presented it in a way and probably not the best way possible but like i presented it in a way that i thought would ease the audience in that like, okay, you've already got a sensibility of who I am. And like, you like me, right? You don't dislike me. Right. You think I'm funny. You think my approach is good or whatever. You're having a good time. So then the way I presented it, I was like, okay, so here's some stuff that may be considered a little taboo. Uh, when the way I do it, for, at least for the album is I make the audience vote. All right, we're at the point of the show. Do you want to hear me talk about being from Kentucky? and how religious Kentucky is? Or do you want to hear more stuff about my wife? 
people always, regardless what their reaction is, pick about Kentucky and religion. Hmm. And so then I make a bit out of it. So it, it goes a little, it's a little antithetical against what I said about the um, berating an audience. There's a tightrope to walk of like, if you get into it and you feel their buttholes clench, you can then say, be like, you asked for this. We held a democratic vote. And like, right. you can't be angry with me. You have to be angry with each other. This is civil unrest. Like, when you leave, if you didn't like this portion of the show, you should attack and go after the person sitting next to you. That, but like, just jokingly, obviously, I'm not trying to incite violence. But then I will then skew if if it does get too much of a lull or I get I dig myself too much in a hole, even if I felt like it was okay to, to get into that material, I then will pivot in a way that I know what joke to go as part of that religious material, which is again, personal to me. I'm from Kentucky. This stuff personally affects me and I have a personal outlook on it. I then have a joke that is the end of that chunk that I then can pivot into my next chunk and it will seem seamless. It won't seem like I'm like bailing out of something that I was like, well, this isn't working. I got to escape. Like, but right. again, that's, that's just me. So no, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't address unless you're already, unless your opener is already um, commenting on where you're from, I wouldn't change what your set is, but also remember the longer that you perform, the better chance you're going to have of having to write a new opener. Um, and also maybe a good exercise is opening with what you think your killer last joke is as your first joke to work on coming up with a, another strong closer. Yeah. And what do you, do? what do you do? Yeah. Well, I was going to say like performing enough for like being able to pivot in and out of material comes with time as well. Like I think it took me years to be able to start to call an audible on the fly based on the audience's reaction you know, so that's that's definitely something that for like younger comics listening that you will just get better at the more you're on stage, the more comfortable you are on stage, because then you'll instead of just in your head about what's next, what's next, what's next, what's next, then you're actually performing, listening and like listening to the audience and not like talking at them, which a lot of the yeah. early comedy is basically just that you're just almost like reciting what you have and hoping that it works halfway. Um but even for like what Jack is asking, like if you're in your head about your accent at this certain place, it doesn't have to be a joke. It could literally be that like I, I traveled from, I traveled mm -hmm. from Alabama to be here. Thanks for having me. And then you go into your first joke. It's like, it's just saying who you are, where you're from, and then you it's go. It's not into a your joke. Show. Yeah, and it's not like yeah. too much of a context, and it's not too much of a let me tell you a little bit about myself, like kind of thing. It's just like. If you've heard a comic, if you've heard more than one comic say something that you might say, then don't say it. Because that is a real quick way of shutting off an audience's ears of being like, oh, this guy must be young. This guy must be new. And it's okay mm -hmm. to be young and new. But like, for me, like, don't fall into the tropes of, of saying those things because so that's that's my whole opinion with audience work, too is when you ask, if you're going to ask the audience a question, 
only do it if the audience's response matters to where you're going. Don't mm. ask, for me, don't ask rhetorical questions because it doesn't matter. It's just a time suck that you just wasted in your 10 minutes, seven minutes, 20 minutes. Unless it's such a rhetorical question that you're making a statement that you don't want an audience response, but then be prepared that whatever kind of audience hears that they're being asked a question that you may be opening it up to. And then there's other rules. If you're a feature or you're an, especially if you're an MC, you're not supposed to do any audience work. Yeah. Yeah. But those are like those unwritten rules. That just reminded me of the comic that I was talking about that did like, all right, give me some topics. Like, and then it didn't work. I remember him getting mad at the audience. I remember the audience member yelled out taxes and he couldn't think of anything funny about it. So then he got mad at the guy for giving him a bad suggestion. <laughs> it was hilarious. Turn it, like own it and be like taxes. My taxes are so depressing when I do them and just be honest. Because mm. the one benefit you have with when you open up to a Q&A or crowd work, which I've started implementing in a lot of shows to try to help develop material, because an audience huh. sometimes, like I said, the finding your voice and figuring out what an audience thinks about you on stage um, is really uh, hard when you're starting off whenever you, wherever you're at in your career. Unless you're so big that like people are commenting online and writing think pieces about you, you're not going to know what an audience thinks of you. But if you do a Q&A and you are just going to earnestly talk to the audience, their questions will give you an insight if you listen to what they think about you because you've inspired them to ask a certain question. Like uh, during the live recording for the album in Salt Lake, someone asked, uh, do you have any more weight loss stories? And I, I just had an, an occurrence, a situation when I was flying there on Delta and I just told the story and it got some of the biggest laughs because it wasn't a bit, it was almost like improv. Do you know wow. that like, that like easiness that an audience gives you when you know, when they think you're doing it on the fly, they give you so much more leeway to like not be crafted, to not be like conscientious of the words that you use. And they think it's on the fly. So they're going to even laugh harder because they're like, oh, we're hearing this for the first time. There's so much psychology to it that an audience isn't even cognizant of. That is, is really interesting. The psychology of comedy is, I, I think is, is fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you do develop your material through crowd work? What do you, how do you do that? So, I mean, like one of the, the things was um, someone asked, because um, I tell a couple stories about my family, where they're like, well, what do your brothers think of this? And I was like, oh, my one brother works for Fifth Third Bank, a huge bank, and makes tons of money. My other brother is a doctor and makes a ton of money. And I'm the lowly performer comedian. They're like, oh, yes, please make your little pithy jokes about us. Mm -hmm. like. And I was just being honest of like how I felt and how I felt they felt of the situation of me doing humor. Now, in all honestness, I do a bit about my mother-in-law in the show, and that has since grown because um, my father-in-law passed away unexpectedly in July, and my mother-in-law now lives with us. 
So that bit I had about my mother-in-law has now expanded and become even more personal. But before doing it, I asked her, I was like, are you okay with me talking about this? And she said, yeah. And similarly to my wife, whenever I've talked about um, introducing any humor or jokes about her, she's like, I'm good as long as you don't call me a bitch. <laughs> like, it's not like in this old ball and chain. Right. And so like the stuff I do about my mother-in-law is very, um, and I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just very relatable. And there's an entry point access point for most people, even if you don't have a mother-in-law that you have like any issues with. Um, but, but yeah, it's so as far as like crowd work goes, I will take note of what worked and if that opened up something in me, I mean, me as a comedian, I started in 2005 as an open mic comic that became a house comic at Newport on the Levee Funny Bone in Newport, Kentucky. And from 2005 to 2009, I did not do personal stories. I did one-liners, very uh, Mitch Hedberg, very uh, Mike Birbiglia, very Dimitri Martin-based um, stuff that I thought was funny in my observations. And then it wasn't until I went and lived a life in Chicago where I had a period of not doing stand-up as much and then moving back from Chicago in 2017 where I started doing stand-up more heavily that I then was able to reflect on the life that I had lived, which experience has a ton to do with it. Mm. But like I started doing stuff that reflected on my upbringing and reflected on um, the schooling, like the high school I went to, like we we're the Campbell County camels in Northern Kentucky. And our mascot was a camel in Kentucky and our colors were purple and gold. Like there was stuff that was like humorous to me that we would joke about as friends, but that I never thought was interesting to a stage. But then I started like curating it as like a narrative and an act about myself. And I found that like, Oh, okay. People do think that this is entertaining or humorous. Like my goal, and I don't know if it's, I, I don't know about you or any other comedians, my goal after the end of the show isn't to be deemed as the funniest person that that person has seen. Like, I just want to make that person have a good 45 minutes mm. and have a good time. Yeah, something that stuck with me um, was a comedian told me he doesn't, he doesn't want to change your mind, he wants to change your mood. And I was like, I like that. Like, it is just like them leaving feeling better than when they got there. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of, is like a good goal. And killing, of course, is fun. But it's like going in with that mindset instead of putting so much pressure on, I've got to kill, I've got to kill, I've got to get a laugh every 10 seconds or whatnot. Oh, yeah. You'll drive yourself crazy. For yeah, me, yeah. I, so I love that quote of like leaving with a, with a mood of like feeling good. For me, mm -hmm. it's always that, um, the concert mentality of like, okay, so you go and see a concert and you see the opening band and it's a band you've never heard of and maybe half sets covers, but like it gets you into the vibe of knowing what the night is. We're going to focus at the stage. We're talking to our friends still a little bit, but we're, the band is showing us that like, okay, up here is where we need to look. This is where the show is happening tonight. And then the next band comes on and they maybe have one or two songs that you like or that you maybe faintly have heard of. 
And you're like, oh, okay, they're drawing my attention a little bit more. I'm talking to my friends a little bit less. I'm into the vibe of the night. And then that final act comes on. It's the act you came to see, or it's the closing act, even if you got free tickets or whatever. And you want it to roller coaster. Like I, I've had plenty of instances where I've closed shows or where I've featured shows where if when I featured people are like, oh my God, you are my favorite person of the night. Like, shh, don't tell the headliner. Mm-hmm. I've also been the headliner in that situations next to the feature <laughs> where I've heard the person because yeah. those people are, are also not like delicate where they're just like, you are my favorite of the night. I just right. want you to know. And I hear that. And I'm like, awesome. I'm not pissed. Like, you had a favorite of the night. Great. I hope you didn't hate me. But like, I I hope I will never be the comedian who kicks off a feature from a weekend because they do really well. Oh, like God. that should inspire me to do better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh, and John Mondragon said, I'm the same with women. <laughs> I guess Wait, talking about... Uh, I guess talking about not wanting or leave them changing their mood. I don't know. I don't know what John was saying there. Maybe I shouldn't have called that. I'm the same with women. (laughs) My wife. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, slight name drop. I was opening for Doug Benson. This was uh, pre-pandemic. And I did start a lot of jokes with my wife. And Uh I, I didn't realize it. He stood in the back of the theater because he watches everyone who performs. He doesn't just sit in the green room for good and for bad. He sat in the back of the theater. And every time I said my wife is a preamble for a story or a joke, he went, my wife. (laughs) So we didn't have to have a conversation for the rest of the weekend or anything because I was like, I'm picking up what you're putting down. I'm starting too many stories or sentences with the phrase, my wife. Mm-hmm. And so I will work on that this weekend. Mm. Oh, and John said to give them a good 45 minutes. Gotcha. Oh, he was being gotcha. funnier than us. That's not fair. <laughs> so um, what, as we, as we start to land the plane here, you just released an album. You're about to record a special. You're also about to release a film. A horror film. You're 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 doing a lot here, Ricky. It's that pandemic. Yeah, I mean that, that that pandemic. I think the one thing that like people talked about was if you're always complaining about not having time to write that book, and you don't come out of the pandemic with that book, then you're just a lot of hot air, a lot of hot breath. Oh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> ooh. <laughs> uh, so for me, uh, right before the pandemic started. Um, I knew my, my, my dry bar special was coming out and I knew that my first album was coming out right before the pandemic hit. And so I had also just filmed a proof of concept for a horror movie in March, the week before the pandemic hit and canceled a bunch of shows. So we did our episode and again, thank you for promoting. Like I didn't have the opportunity. I was sitting on 300 physical CDs and a dry bar special without being able to like, to be able to do anything about it, to capitalize on it. Um, so your your podcast and, and your page was the only thing to, to really like let anybody know. Um, and maybe more people saw it because of the pandemic. Who knows? It kind of 
could have maybe worked out for the better. It, like in that time though, it felt like, oh, what a great time to re- be releasing our first album right. and, a, and a special. But um, what the pandemic did was it taught me to want to do um, whatever, uh, what was important to me to achieve. And so um, someone who I had made short films with and had done a sketch comedy cable access show with in college, we were sitting kind of as pandemic was opening up in 2021 regulations and like the protocol for getting more people together whatnot were getting a little softer um we were like okay as filmmakers what is one thing we would regret 10 years from now Mm. we're like okay based on the equipment that we have is what if we didn't make a what if we didn't make a feature-length film that we didn't push ourselves like i would regret that we get okay what would the story be for that feature-length film meta based off of what the question we just asked of like, what would a regret be for people similarly our age for 10 years before us? And so we came up with a semi autobiographical story about me, who I'm someone who was into theater and chorus and stuff and performing arts, but I also got hurt playing football and I was a state wrestler, but we were like, okay, what if I hadn't gotten hurt and I was King shit of turd mountain and had gotten a scholarship for wrestling in Kentucky, like what would I have done? And then maybe have gotten hurt in college. Like, okay, well, I would have been a depressive, possibly an alcoholic. Um, So we, we constructed a story that utilized when we were talking about who could be in it with a very small budget. We were like, okay, um, we need someone who's dedicated and that there are a lot of scenes that are just the lead actor and the main cameraman, the director of photography, which was my friend, uh, co-director Nick Hyans. And he's like, well, it's got to be you. He's like, we can always depend on you. And I was like, well, I don't want to wear that many hats. And he's like, eh, that's what we got to do for our first time out. So we wrote the story that was, uh, what if, and I'll use the long description and then I'll use the concise description. What if the breakfast club grew into the big chill that went camping in a Friday, the 13th movie. Hmm. So the more concise version, which a website came up with when we started sending out the press release was what happens when the teenage slasher movie grows up. Hmm. And as soon as a website came up with that subject line, we were like, we're taking that now for our press release because that is way better than the garbage we wrote. Um, and that became the movie. All your friends are dead which uh, we filmed in 2021. We started filming with the majority of the cast and we filmed the middle of the movie that featured the most amount of cast. And we did it like a 48 hour film festival. So crazily with no money, we shot like 32 pages of script, which is ridiculous to do in like one day. But we did that and then we put it together and made a teaser trailer and then did a Kickstarter and raised um, about $10,000, which when you clear it is about $6,000 out of the fees that come out and whatnot. And we made our movie and finished it in 2021 for $5,959, which I say it cost that much, but it cost really $10,000 worth of favors. 
and then we were very fortunate for some festivals to to play it. It's a horror comedy um, movie, and I, I incredibly low budget, but there is something interesting there with this new wave of like Jordan Peele. Not comparing myself to him, but like people who came from comedy that are doing horror because comedy and horror really run congruently mm-hmm. in the paths of like making someone laugh or making someone uh, scared. Um, I think it does that pretty well. Uh, we got picked up by SRS cinema. Which it's going to have a studio. It, you can buy it, a special edition Blu-ray until Thursday March 16th. So you have two days to get a special edition Blu-ray limited numbered that like, if you don't get it now, you're never, never going to be able to get it. It has a special commentary. That's only part of that Blu-ray and you can get it on the website. That's part of the show notes or whatever. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. You're like, and the, the link will be in the show notes. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I'll definitely, cause you, you, yeah, you sent, yeah. Cause you sent me the link and I'll do it in the live chat now as well for peeps watching live that is um i love performing i love entertaining an audience i really love stand-up is lonely i love the collaborative nature of working on a film or working with a, a bunch of people like a cast or a crew and i think that can only help someone stand up so like if you are a stand-up like maybe try doing sketch or improv and i know there's a lot of naysayers that will judge you and you'll be like, Oh, you're a stand-up and you're just looking out for yourself. Like I did improv Olympics and I know like it was taboo. Like I never mentioned that I did stand-up because people in improv Olympics and IO were like, Oh, you're a stand-up. Oh, you're going to be selfish. So I don't want to play with you, but like doing those things makes you a better stand-up because it makes you a better listener. And even though stand-up is lonely, the audience is that other component that you can listen off of and feed mm. off of and figure out like how to hone and make better your own standup. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why you, you do so many different things. And I think that's important for us comedians is like, we can always, we can get in tunnel vision on just stand up, stand up, stand up. But the more creative things you do, the more skills you can learn. I'm outside of like anything in the arts, but the more skills you can learn in general, the more it's going to help your stand up. Like it all, for me, it all leads back to stand up, but I've done sketch and improv and acting and just writing, copywriting and things. Like I'll do a bunch of different things and it all just strengthens your stand up. So I think having that diversity and skill sets only where you think that time away from stand up will actually hurt your stand up, it actually makes it better and stronger and you you learn new things about yourself and your own creative process that'll actually help your stand-up become easier yeah i mean i think um again you with the social media presence and the writing groups of of hot breath like as beneficial as it was to everybody else who is in that weird um chasm of of the pandemic like i can only imagine that it also self i mean non-selfishly and also selfishly for you was a way f- to hold your feet to the fire of being like accountable sure. to write material and do things like for and sure. that's okay it's okay to do 
quote unquote selfless acts that are also selfish because there's no such thing as a selfless act. So like if there's a comedian that like you you like but isn't getting the stage time and you give them some time, you watching them and watching them grow is going is bound to make you self-reflective and go like, okay, what do I need to work on? If I'm going to criticize them or think about what they're not doing that maybe doesn't appease my eye, like, can I step back and think about myself and how I can, I can be a little tighter in some areas. Mm-hmm. Well, where can we, and I'm going to link your, your movie in the live chat, but where, where can we see or hear your new album and how about your, your dry bar? Like anything you want to promote, please let the hot breath verse know. All the promotion. Um, the new album is world's greatest dad and then parentheses participant. And, uh, if you see the picture for my first album, it is a picture of my daughter and I, when she was six months old, wearing the exact same outfit. Um, oh, this album that. is my daughter and me now who at the time of the photo was three in a bathtub with bubble beards. So my idea is if, if I continue to do albums, every album will feature here, her in a different stage of her life, because a, a, a big part of the album is me growing as a person, as a performer, and also the inspiration from her of who I've become. So I really want to feature her until it comes the day where she's just like, no, I'm not doing this. <laughs> or she's like, let me where's get a cut of that. <laughs> yeah, where's my cut? Um, my joke is now is that I have my wife, my daughter, and my mother-in-law living under the same house, that my next album will be called Estrogen and Tonic. That is hilarious. Hit the symbols. Oh gosh, that's so good. Did you say symbols? Yeah are you, looking, yeah, are you looking for a sound cue for it to, to match up? That'll work. Was that I good? mean that's a little bit more churchy, but yeah. But um, <laughs> that yeah <laughs> the clown horn right. is perfect. That's that's all that it deserves. Um but yes, world's greatest dad participant, uh produced by comedy dynamics, um, is everywhere. It's on Spotify. It's on iTunes, it's Amazon, wherever you listen to albums. Um, you can buy it from Target, which I don't know if that's the, like the Midwesterner in me. But when <laughs> I saw that it was offered through Target, I was like, oh my God, I've made it. <laughs> We're in the department like, stores. Well, and someone uh, in Georgia who's a friend of my wife's bought it from Target and it's the first physical copy i had seen through a facetime and i was like oh my god i was like show me the back show me this and like i had seen everything but like because i had to proof it but like i hadn't seen a physical copy yet and i was like that's amazing because i'm still like old enough that like i like to buy physical media of something that like i really want and so mm -hmm. like to see a physical manifested copy that's not just through clouds or the ether or whatever it's like again i've achieved everything that i've wanted to achieve like everything is just a cherry on the top for what i thought like i could do and i know like things are so accessible and easy to do now that anybody can put out an album anybody can put out a special but like for me i'm just like oh my god can you believe that i did this and they're like yeah anybody can do that i'm like yeah but 
I did it. Um, it's to like have a distributor of the movie that we made again for under $6,000 and have people that we don't know, like from the UK or wherever buy a copy. Like we had, um, all your friends are dead was in a festival in Austria. And I had people hitting me up being like, we found the movie hilarious and we think the dark humor was hilarious. And that like touched me in a way that I was just like, that's amazing. That like social, that's what's good about social media. There's mm-hmm. plenty of bad about social media, mm-hmm. but being connected, like the, the, the new form of pen palism is what makes it cool. And I hope that continues. And maybe some of the negative uh, aspects of social media, maybe get tampered down. Probably won't. Um, Cause the negative ones are the easier way to do things. Um, but yeah, follow me on Twitter at Ricky Glore on Instagram at Glore Ricky, Facebook at Ricky Glore comedy, wherever Google Ricky Glore and you'll Ricky find Glore. me. I don't think there's the person named me. So I think I have that going for, that's the Bill Murray quote from Caddyshack. Like, well, at least I got that going for me. <laughs> Which is nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Well, Ricky, man, I thank you so much for all you've done as well in terms of just inspiring the next generation of comedians and leading by doing as well. And just all your kind words I'm extremely grateful for. And, um, Thank you so much for taking the time to even do this. And I'm excited to see your movie and I'm excited for your new special to get taped and we'll definitely be helping promote that as well. So um, congrats on everything, man. Do you have your uh, dry bar named? I do, I think. I don't know. I mean, I I, I sent them a name. It hasn't been approved or whatnot. Um, They basically sent me a first draft. Yeah, yeah, they sent me one. I gave feedback, and then I haven't heard back since then. You are not the only one. Just remember, like an abused victim, you're not the only yeah. one. Yeah, and I'm, like, I'm, yeah, I don't even think about it anymore. Like, and I had a friend tell me before I taped it that he's like, "Just enjoy the whole experience. It's going to be amazing." He's like, "Mine didn't come out for two years, so just know, like, whenever it comes out." just enjoy it and be grateful, but just enjoy the experience and it'll come out when it comes out basically. So yeah. And it's up to you that if you want to look at the comments on YouTube or Facebook, if you don't want to look at like, I, I find that I am not a depressive kind of person that I love looking at all the comments and all the YouTube comments. And uh, I have grown from some of it and have leaned into some of it. And yeah, I, I, I have the, the whole experience of dry bar. They will do things like um, they included me. Oh, an election thing. Cause I have a, an impression of um, presidents from 1985 to 2020. They included me as part of a clip compilation. Nice. So that reignited some views of my special. And it's, it's awesome to like, to just know that that many people are seeing, um, your performance and yeah, I wish you the best of luck. It's only going to be awesome. I can't wait until it comes out because I'm sure it's going to be killer and welcome to the dry bar family. And you will reap the benefits of all those clips Yeah, and you'll watch a small 
bump in your booking fee? Yes. Oh, don't tell my wife. Tell her it's a significant bump in the booking fee. Well, I mean, it's hard. Like, it's hard. Like, so many comics don't want to talk about the business side of things. But, like, it's a business. Like, as much as you're performing for people and want to entertain them, but, like, you ain't doing this for free. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For sure. That's Which, and that's how I want to end. I want to talk about... We're both available for booking for anyone that books and runs shows out there. Like, I'm going to Virginia on Friday for a show from the Hot Breath of Verse. Don Davis Womack runs some shows up there, so I'm going to go up there. So anyone listening to this and wants to book professional comedians, Ricky and I are both open for bookings. Always available. One, one question that I had before we go is how did you select which notable comedy albums appear on your back wall? Are they your, uh, like your top 10 or are they just pictures of images that you like? Um, well, these are all out. These are all CD booklets that I like. I actually yeah. own. So um, comedy isn't pretty. I can see the Steve Martin one. I can see the red, uh, the, um, Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah. So there's, um, um, so uh, there's the Mark, Seinfeld, the Seinfeld yeah. one. So it's right uh, that's that's Mark Lowry in the back yeah. corner. It's the first comedy album I ever had. Yeah, that's Jeff Foxworthy, Seinfeld, Bill Hicks, Richard Pryor, and then Andy Kaufman, George Carlin, Sam Kinison, and Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, and Steve Martin. Um, and then. Oh, you can't really see it there. But then there's a drawing that a member of the Hot Breath of Earth drew. Um, oh, that's awesome. PJ, PJ drew. I can't show it in this angle. But um, basically, I picked the albums. Um, oh, and then this one up here is a wedding photo. My wife is right in the middle of all of it. But um, I just picked... Uh, I like the albums. Oh, and Chris Rock is in the bottom right over here. But... It's like a diverse, it was also like a variety of comedians. So like, you yeah. know, Mark Lowry is like primarily in churches and then Seinfeld's clean, but then I have like Sam Kinison and like Bill Hicks. It's like, I just want to kind of do um, kind of a, a cornucopia of comedians, but yeah, I did all like hand select. All facets of you, which again, like I mentioned when, when um, I was talking from this past weekend and being like, well, I wouldn't be a comedian that I would go see. Because, like, my favorite comedians are very cerebral. And, like, I am not a cerebral comedian. And, like, <laughs> there is that understanding of, like, being like, that's okay. Like, you have a lot of different influences and you have taste of where you'll go and stuff. And that's okay that you don't need to strive to be the next whoever, Chris Rock or Dave Chappelle or, you know, whoever. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be that person. But, like figuring out the best way to be the most earnest you is probably going to get you a lot of more uh, favor than trying to sound like, or be like somebody else. A hundred percent. Yeah. 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 But it takes time to get to that uh, self-discovery and we all find it at different times for sure. I think I'm trying to, I'm trying to focus on having fun again and be a little more silly. I feel like I've spent 10 years trying to be cool and show that I can do comedy. <laughs> and then I think I've realized that I'm I'm not cool and I've never been cool and I'm more of a goofball and that's fine. 
Have you ever had this? Not to open a Pandora's box of a whole nother thing as we're wrapping up the show. When I started touring and a little bit now, my wife will be like, um, especially when I first started touring more heavily, would be like, all right, don't sleep with anybody like on the road and like making it like a joke. And then like she said it like three times in a row of leaving for shows for the weekend. And so it got to the point that it was in my mind, no longer a joke. It was an honest concern that she had. Wow. And I was like, okay, you realize a majority of my show, I talk about you. <laughs> and then I talk about my daughter and I end it usually by doing funny voices. I was like, in the history of doing standup, I have never gotten laid from doing standup. Like, the most that has come from it is some dude bros want to buy me a shot or have right. a drink with them. But, like, never has anybody been like, and the panties are off. Yeah. Me like, neither. My that, wedding like, ring just. <laughs> yeah. That's. My wedding ring wedding just. Ring I was like playing with it. You're like making me nervous. I was like, oh my gosh. But has your wife ever had those concerns or ever voiced those to you? She's never voiced them if she did have them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was she was never like, oh, be careful out there or whatnot. I'm I'm be saddled. Careful. She knows I'm You're just such a young buck in the woods. You're gonna get pounced on like Bambi's father. <laughs> yeah, she's never yeah, she's never um expressing concern like that. No. It's so interesting because like I just have never, there's never been that kind of um, rock star, like groupie mentality of afterwards of being like, I got to add them to the list of people that I've slept with. Like, oh, never, I'm an old man, never. dude. I want to go to bed. I don't, <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't, don't want to do anything. Eat a little bit of bad food and yeah. then pass. Yeah, if I do, goodness, I mean, if the show's at 10 o'clock, I was like, man, can we do a matinee? This is late. I'm going to go to bed. Papa's got to sleep. I got to take a melatonin and go to bed. I can't. Papa's got to get his full eight hours. I got to get eight hours. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'm at for sure. Nice. Well, all right, everyone. Thanks for hanging out live or listening to the podcast. Go follow Ricky. Go. Get his album, go watch his movie, and just tell him that you heard him on Hot Breath and you appreciate his time, and we can keep doing more cool things like this. But Ricky, man, I really appreciate you so much. I'm excited. The the Hot Breath Verse has brought us together, and I'm excited for what we both do together in the future. Thank you, sir. Keep on doing what you're doing. Absolutes. Hot Breath Verse, have a great day. We love you. Bye. Bye, y'all. Hot Breath. This episode of Hot Breath is sponsored by our Patreon. If any of our content has helped your comedy career, join our Patreon linked in the show notes and get positive comedy karma for life. Probably.